Hey, it's Robin. And Jinx. And we're here with a best of selection of our favorite moments in season one. You know, one of the things that really stands out to me is how personal starting a business is. Uh, Your whole identity will be deeply tied to that business. So you have to know who you are and what you bring to the table. So I love kind of the call out that Jinx made to not having an echo chamber, definitely getting a whole plethora of objective ideas and opinions. But I think one of the key things that I look at is consistency in terms of this is what I say, this is who I represent myself to be, this is my value as a business, and are the actions there that support all of what you're, what you're stating. So, you know, coming from a financial institution, we are data rich. And being in the not-for-profit space, we share. And there's more than 3,500 credit unions across the United States. So we are not at a deficit of information and information that is true and very specific to a lot of communities that we get to pull from. But what I look at is, are you leading in your actions as a business from the same place that you communicate? And that consistency really gives me that confidence of authenticity. In my family, my mother's always been a strong figure, often out-earning my father. So her being in that space and being the breadwinner a lot sort of framed my view of possibility in a way that I think is really special. So shout out to mom, right? Now, coming into my own and owning my own company, that process was really interesting. I, I tend to deal with that insecurity by over-preparing. So getting really, really deep into what are all the nooks and crannies and details and how do I know everything and handle everything. And, you know, the first few years, it was just, I wouldn't say overwhelming, but that was my, a huge focus of my time. And eventually I started to realize that there's a skill there that I have to understanding information and, and being able to translate it into something that people can understand. And Even if I'm new in a space, I tend to do this huge amount of research and bring stuff to the table that adds a unique perspective that's valuable. And owning the fact that my voice is valuable and adding that to the conversation elevates it was something really, really nice to step into over the last few years. And obviously, you position in the technology space and the data and the digital space how do you feel like, you know, you're, you've been providing like real insight to individuals who've been coming to the table asking about their businesses? Well, a lot of times when, when people are asking about their businesses, they're asking emotional questions. And that's where it comes back down to the data. You know, people are so married to their brand or their brand message or their belief in a concept, which is itself an emotional position. And so I I try to sort of help frame that and provide some outer edges. You know, when you build a puzzle, the easiest way to do it is to find the corners and start working your way in, right? And so I like to use the math and some underlying just basic statistical questions to really start framing that in. Let's really see what this looks like. And I think deconstructing it down to those core basic principles is always a good place to start when you're looking at business problems. I've heard psychologists say in the past, and this is something that I'm currently growing through, is when you are a child and you don't understand unconditional love or love was given to you conditionally, you tend to say yes to everything instead of saying no. And what I have come to learn is saying no is saying yes. It's saying yes to myself, my health. It's saying yes to being able to place focus on something that's extremely important to focus on at this moment in time, speaking to the prioritization aspect that Victor talked about. 
but really it also speaks to your values and your alignment because it's saying no to relationships that don't give you energy, you know, saying no to things that you're not going to do to compromise your integrity or your values. So really taking a deep dive from that is really rooted in self-awareness, understand your triggers, understand the things that motivate you and give you energy and ask yourself, why, why did I just say yes to this thing? Is, is this really something I should be doing right now? I remember just looking out of my office window over the city and thinking, oh my God, I have everything I've ever wanted. I worked so hard to get here. I should be so happy. I should be so fulfilled. What is wrong with me? And I thought it was me. I just thought it was an issue with myself. I thought maybe I'm just never going to be happy. Maybe I'm just always going to be wanting the next thing and that's never going to satisfy. So I went on this really deep journey within to discover like, what is wrong with me, right? Is there something wrong with me or is something missing here? Am I really just maybe not in my ultimate calling? Is there a different thing? Is there a different way that I can still positively affect the change that I deeply believe in, in the healing modalities without having the red tape of the government behind everything that I'm doing? We all know that running a business is fucking hard. And you have to be just a little bit crazy to go on this journey. Really knowing yourself allows you to build a business that is custom fit for your particular brand of crazy. Then you can set plans and goals that work for you, not against you. What are you waiting for exactly? What challenge are you waiting to overcome? What obstacle? What resources? And so the blueprint identifies your vision, which is a very active process. Vision's a verb. It's not dreaming and wishing and hoping. It is a verb. It's some serious version of the future, your place in it. What does that look like for you in whatever area of your life you choose? The second pillar to it, I guess, is alignment. Now, now that we know what you want, who do we align people, resources, and skills, you and others? And then thirdly, here's the magic action plan. I learned a version of this when I worked for Tony Robbins a long time ago. And I had adapted it a little bit for my myself, you know, what really worked for me over and over to know clearly what my outcome is and by when, all the whys so that when it gets hard, which it does, I can get plugged back into that. And then a process for action that is simply 20% of the items are going to get me 80% of my results. That is where I focus my time. And then the others can raise up as necessary or I'll farm them out to somebody who's really better at them. And having that process, but you got to be willing to learn it. You've got to be willing to say, okay, I'm going to invite my transformation. I'm not waiting anymore for the shit to just come knocking on my door. I'm ready for this. Let's take the journey. The final question I have, and I'm going to point this out to everybody. So I'd like all of us to answer this question. How do you know when to quit? When do you know it's time for the endeavor to end, the journey's over, and to either pivot or move away from the space completely? I think that's an interesting question to think about. We talked about margins, but there has to be a desire and ambition to drive beyond the problem. So when's enough enough? When do you decide to just pull out and just say, it's been real? So I'll, I'll go first. And, and my apologies for not answering that earlier. I think I got sidetracked on, on a sub-question to that. We do that all the time. I think the first analysis, and I hate to, to bang the drum, is the strategy. So I think you must have a strategy for survival. You've got to write that down. What is my strategy to survive? So once you've done that, and then you look at that plan and say, I don't see a path forward 
to profitability for this business. And so you've got to have a financial awareness of where you are at and where you can get to. And that's reasonably, right? There is not going to be a fantasy um, group, a rugby team that comes in and you know saves your business. And so you've got to do that strategy, look at it. And if you do not have a financial path back to profitability, then that's the first check mark. The second is you might be able to do that, but it's going to kill you. It's literally going to prevent you from having a life and having a family. And, and when you get back to that point of profitability and it's, it takes you whatever amount of time and then you have to sustain that by giving up your life, don't do it because we're, we're in this industry for a passion. And if your passion gets demoralized and damaged, um, it's not worth it. I also want owners to understand if you make that decision to close and to recreate elsewhere, to pivot, to do something else, that is not failure. You know, life, we get one track around the, the, the earth and closing a business, I think, uh, I think Wolfgang Puck said it, and, and, and if it's not him, I'm sorry, but basically he said he learned more from one of his restaurants that failed than all his ones that succeeded. So oftentimes it's our, um, our stopping and restarting, and, and I've done that multiple times in my life, uh, either forced on me or chosen by me, and I always come out with a whole new path. Where I meet a bunch of new people and then I'm able to succeed again. So it's success delayed by closing. So that's, that's kind of my, that's my thought on it. What about for you, Jinx? How do you, how do you know when to quit? I mean, the answers are kind of similar, I think, although I might be a little bit more, I, I don't know if I want to say cold, but succinct maybe. Um, if, if, if the amount that I'm going to have to spend to save the business exceeds a threshold that I've already established, according to my strategy that I've laid out, that's definitely a deal breaker right there. You know, if, if I'm going to have to go into significant debt with the hope of saving a business as a gamble that I'm going to be looking real hard at that decision, because, you know, then there's a possibility that I could come out the backside with no business and no money and no opportunity to go pivot to something else, you know? So that's always the first big one for me. But the second one for me is, do I still have a passion for it? Um, you know, there, there's so much emotional work that has to be done as part of running a business. And you've got to be able to stay motivated and energetic and enthusiastic. You're the, the ambassador for your product or your brand. You know, if, if you find yourself unable to do that, that's another good sign that it's just time to go. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs run into this space where, we're so beaten in the head about being 100% upbeat all the time and beyond that grind and just go, 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 go. And if it's not working, uh, you're not working hard enough and, and that sort of thing. And, and I think that's what leads us down some of these darker paths where we see that entrepreneurs have a higher suicide rate than others, for instance, and, and higher instances of uh, uh, mental issues, uh, for instance, because we are expected to keep pounding in this direction even when we're eating shit. I have long, long since given up that concept of just eating shit and fighting my way through it. If, if that's what it takes for that business to succeed, I, I don't want to be the one that takes that ride. What about you, Victor? I'm kind of with Jenks and this man. So, you know, when you, when you create a business, um, you, you have to have a certain passion for it. And when it stops being fun, when it's not, when it's not, um, not only not profitable, of course, that's kind of the, the, the big thing, right? If it's not making any money, why do it? 
But when it's not fun for you, when it, when you when you lost a passion, when it's a headache, when it's a, a source of a stress, high stress, at that point it's probably it's probably best for you to kind of retire from that particular uh, place. But if, I also believe it's different from everybody. You know, some some owners, believe it or not, are there just for the grind of it, and and they like the you know where they're gonna do if they're, if they don't open the restaurant anymore. And even though they're not making huge money, they're able to at least make a living. So if that's your thing and, and you're passionate about what you're selling, you know, keep at it. But but at the end of the day, man, if, you, if you're not making any money and you're not having fun, there's no reason to keep it open. I have one question for you, Roger. Um, I'm asking for a friend, by the way. What would you tell a food trucker? So from your standpoint, I would love to know, you know, how have you developed the systems in your business that guide you into those habits that allow you to like really perform on a day to day? Because everybody here is a high performer to really be effective in what you do? Did it take a while for you to kind of find that routine for you? Did it take a while for you to kind of figure out what works best? And maybe you have an unconventional routine too. Like I refuse to wake up at 4.30 in the morning, no matter how much people put that on their Instagram. No, thank you. I love my sleep. <laughs> but I would love to uh, to start with uh, with you, Robin. What, what are some ways in which you've kind of developed your routines and, and developed that environment for yourself? So in the interest of full disclosure, the way that I am hardwired, I am not hardwired for habit. Habits are very, very difficult for me. I live for spontaneity. I live for change to the point where it is literally hardwired into my DNA. There are very few things that operate the same way every day for me. And that can be a challenge. It's an interesting challenge to tackle, but it can definitely be a challenge. I think especially if you're a parent and a business owner. So in both of those roles, you have people who are relying on you to set some consistency and to set some pattern. And when you're not built for consistency and pattern, (laughs) you have to be really, really focused to mitigate that and try to provide that for the people who are looking to you for it. So it does take a lot of commitment and a couple of things I've learned that have worked really well for me. So if anyone else is listening to this going, dear God, yes, I can't establish patterns. I can't establish routines. Build them where you already live. So I kept trying to build habits into other systems, other programs, but I live in my calendar. It's to the point now where I even tell my kids, like, you have to send me a calendar request. Because <laughs> I'm going to forget that you told me offhand in passing in the hallway that you have a birthday party on Saturday, right? You have to send it to me so that it goes into my calendar. Because if it's not in my calendar, it doesn't exist. So now if there's habits and routines I'm trying to establish, I make sure those are in my calendar. Because if it's, again, if it's not in my calendar, it's not going to happen. So I've started building them where I live. And now I have these little pop-ups that are like, hey, remember you wanted to go take a walk today. Hey, remember you wanted to spend 10 minutes reading this morning. And that brings my awareness to it and allows me to go, oh, that's right. This is important to me. I need to stay focused on it. Or this is important to people around me. I need to stay focused on it. So I build those habits where I already live. The other thing is um, I've taken time over the last couple of years to get much more in sync with nature, which sounds a little crazy, but a lot of the things that we do from a fiscal year perspective, from a calendar year perspective, aren't actually in alignment with growth cycles, with the cycle of the moon. (laughs) And so if you look at like a farmer's almanac, 
you know, you'll realize that like January is the worst fucking time to try to establish a new habit. And here we are trying to set New Year's resolutions in January when it's the worst time. It's if you were planting something, you would not expect a new shoot to pop up in January because that's not when things grow. That's not when we establish new habits and routines, that's when we should be curled up and cozy and doing quiet reflection and introspection. We should be reviewing the past year and getting ready to blossom and do new things in the spring. And so for me, I shifted any of that kind of work to March. So I don't expect to like completely reinvent processes or, you know, I'll never set New Year's resolutions because I know that from a nature perspective, it's the worst time to do it. And and I'm in alignment with that. That's how I work. So for me, it's a horrible time to do that. So I wait until the spring to try those new things. And they tend to be much more successful. They grow roots, if you will, much more hardy, much more beneficial, and they're much more likely to stick if I do it at the right time for me. Planning and vision are the starting points for your business, but operational excellence is what really makes a business shine. You have to constantly be on the lookout for ways to reduce costs, increase efficiency, and you have to make sure you're hyper-focused in your marketing and brand messaging. From a purge perspective, I mean, 100% always evaluate your tool sets, subscription-based services in particular. Every year, we always look through and make every team who is using a platform tell us that they're still using that platform. And you'd be surprised the number of subscriptions that you might still be holding that you're not. We've cut several thousand dollars a year out of our budget every year just by evaluating old tool sets and subscriptions. So the things that we sign up for that we think are going to help in the moment, maybe the criteria of us, you know, I like to look at, does this make money in my business or is it doing something to protect money in my business? Do you guys have any criteria or is it just simply how frequently do we use this? Because new stuff's coming out all the time. How do you choose? I mean, it really comes down to, is this still part of a daily workflow or, or however often it needs to be? I mean, some tools are not going to be daily. Some tools might be monthly, but still critical. But is it still part of our regular recurring workflow? And is there another tool that we're already using that potentially fills this gap? And so it's duplicative, you know? If you have redundancies in your business systems, then it's a good place to go, okay, do I really need both, you know? oh, I forgot I had this. And like, how can I apply it to my business now? How can I use it now? Maybe I can use it in a way other than I intended to use it when I originally acquired it or purchased it, right? So so that's a big part of it. The other thing I like to look at is um, monthly fees. And I, I think this is, you know, we're talking about business, but this definitely applies in the personal. Like, what am I paying recurring monthly charges for? And do I still need to be paying a recurring monthly charge for that? Would it make more sense to switch to an annual fee? Would it make more sense to switch to something that is a pay once and never have to pay for it again philosophy? So one of the ways that my business has kept its head above water in the wake of the pandemic is I just happened to go on a tear at the end of 2019 switching everything over to pay once services. Um, so I'm not paying a monthly charge for calendar scheduling. I'm not paying a monthly charge for, you know, email or this or that or the other, right? I just, I went, I happened to go on a tear at the end of that year and go, what can I consolidate? 
What can I pay once for and never have to freaking worry about it again? And so that's a huge chunk of worry that I didn't have to bring into this already worrisome situation. I won't have to bring it into any future worrisome situations. Like those things are solved permanently. So is there anything that you can look at that you can solve permanently? And and as Kathleen was talking about, like now I don't have to think about it. I can use that brain space for something else, for deepening relationships, for, you know, doing more collaboration, for doing more lead generation, whatever the case may be. So clear out your business junk drawer. What did, what did you accumulate that you're not using that maybe somebody else could use? And what can you consolidate and pay for once or solve permanently so that you can use that brain space to do something much more effective? I view marketing, especially right now, as an octopus. So the business is the head of the octopus and the arms are the different marketing tools and techniques that they can use. The absolute first thing the business must do is they must have a strategy. As part of my Club Saver relationship, one of the things we do is we provide consulting and marketing and organizational strategies for our partners free of charge as part of our collaboration. And so I've just finished my second one, I'm on my third, and the eyes that are getting open by the partners I'm working with, it's, it's like amazing and it's so exciting. And so those are the ones that are gonna succeed where they understand their business is the head of the octopus, they have to have a strategy, and they have to get those arms working. And the biggest part about marketing is you've gotta be able to track and trace the effectiveness and the ROI of it. Most marketing that restaurants do and small businesses do, it's not tracked. So how the heck do you know if it's working or not? So yes, right now you have to have a strategy and put, maybe it's 10 arms, right? It's a special octopus, but you've gotta be on social media. You have to know your avatar. If your avatar is in, in elderly community, you're going to be really struggle because right now that's the community that is the least likely to dine out right now. There is some effective print stuff that's going on. It's about getting a story out into the media, right? A press release. There's been the most amazing stories that have come out have been by pivots, by local restaurateurs that have gotten the word out about their pivots. From a brand perspective, this is the time to always evaluate. Have you picked up on any trends? There's a lot of marketing trends. There's a lot of design trends that pop up over the year. And we sort of subconsciously let that eke into our branding and our marketing when really you should be applying your brand ruthlessly and not succumbing to trends. So I would say from a branding perspective, if you've picked up on any marketing trends, which come and go purge those and go back to just applying your brand ruthlessly. Stick to your fonts, stick to your colors, stick to your imagery, stick to your messaging, and don't hop onto trends. Especially if one of the trends you picked up on is during these, you know, normal times, during these times of uncertainty, our brand, (laughs) nobody wants to hear that shit anymore. We all know that these are uncertain times. How the fuck can you help me? Don't tell me what I already know. Don't hop onto the we really care about you bandwagon. If you weren't already on that bandwagon prior to all of us being trapped in our houses, right? (laughs) So if that's one of the trends that your brand messaging picked up this year, please flush it. 
and go back to just being you and talking about how you can help me because I know that we're in uncertain times. I don't need 14,000 brands to tell me that. I am particularly proud of episode seven, where we have an uncensored conversation about being a woman in business. It is so easy to feel alone in our experiences, but sharing our stories allows us to support our community on a deeper level. That's why creating safe spaces to have these conversations is so important and valuable. I was constantly questioned. I felt like I was constantly in positions where I did have to prove myself and know that I wasn't just this young girl, that I actually was intelligent, that I actually knew what I was doing, and that I actually really could put together things that were going to have the the results that we really wanted to have. Especially when you're around the medical community of a lot of physicians, male physicians at that. You know, I had to lead board meetings and medical management meetings where they didn't, I don't think, took me seriously at first. So it was really a matter of having to really, really be extremely professional and very to the point. What did it for me in terms of even thinking about my self-worth or me as a woman was representation, representation, representation. If you can't see it, you cannot dream of it. I was lucky enough to join an organization that was purpose-driven and 66% of the leadership was female. And I had come from an industry that was fully male dominated. It was the auto industry, the auto space. I used my looks to even sail. I know I did. You know, that was one of those underwritten rules of being a female in sales. And yes, you're the one that's going to go out to the dealerships because you look a certain way. You're an attractive person, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I knew that, but coming into to a company where there was these great women and they were idolized for their brains and they had this way of being and they encouraged other women. I was like, oh my God, this person is a CLO. I can actually be a CLO. I never thought that I could have that path. So seeing these women and also being able to say, I can do that, that helped me validate myself in a completely different way. And it led me down paths to explore that I never dreamed that I would be able to do. I'm not here to make people comfortable. I'm here to change the world. And if you're uncomfortable with that, you can step to the side with all due respect. Fuck yes. That was awesome. <laughs> that was awesome. I'm not here to make people comfortable. I'm here to change the world. Ooh, put that on a goddamn t-shirt and sell it right now, Danielle. Oh my God. Yes. Love that. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. And I like to sum up all of your comments, like, This goes for everybody, male, female, non-binary. I don't owe you anything. I don't. The women in your life do not owe you anything. And I think the more people who understand that and stop approaching women as if they owe them something, regardless of the capacity, that will eliminate probably 70% of this bullshit. Let's be real here. No matter who you are, starting and running a business takes fucking courage. You're going to be tested countless times and how you perform under fire can be the make or break difference in your business. In some of our most honest conversations on this show, we've talked about how adversity in our past trains us for the challenges of the future. One of the things that I kind of pride myself on is that I'm able to stay really, really calm, cool, and collected under extreme pressure. And mm-hmm. I, I'm good at making good decisions on the fly, generally, mind you. There are times when mm-hmm. I'm 
don't make good decisions, <laughs> uh, usually involving lots of alcohol. But in more instances than not, you know, when, when I'm looking at like uh, um, business things or, or life things even, I've always been really good at quickly evaluating a situation and making a decision, even under stress, that carries us forward. And, you know, that time that I spent between 16 and 20 when I was essentially, you know, a street rat living a life of crime, sometimes those are life and death decisions. You know, I've had guns pointed in my face and had to make a determination for myself. Is this person just flexing on me or am I really at risk of being shot here? Because mm -hmm. sometimes the right answer is to look them in the eye and dare them. And you've got to know beyond a certainty, you know, beyond the shadow of a doubt when it's really, truly a life or death decision. And so most other decisions that I'm faced seem way less stressful than some of the things that I've ha had in my past where other people are potentially melting down in that moment. Y'all, season one has been a fun ride as we've figured out who we are as a team. And we've held some deeply important conversations around topics that a lot of podcasts wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. And we're just getting started. Here's a few of the super cool topics we have lined up for season two. We talk about getting off your ass and just doing it. We break down the difference between marketing and advertising. And we have a really deep and honest look at the mental health issues that are currently affecting business owners and more. So stay tuned for season two of Unfuck My Business.